I do want to go to Luke chapter 15 this morning. I'm not much of a preacher. You'll find that out after you hear me this morning, but I have been studying and praying and thinking, and when I was asked many months ago to come, I, I always take very seriously anytime I preach in another church in another man's pulpit, and so I've been seeking God all this time and uh, just wanted to deliver uh, the past couple days and today what I believe God has given me, so that's what I want to do. That's my heart this morning. Luke chapter 15, if you would turn there with me. We're going to read verses 11 through 32, and then I'll pray and we'll get into the message this morning. But in Luke 15, verse number 11, our Bible says this, And he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, he, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a city, uh, I'm sorry, a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he had came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck. And kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his elder son was in the field. And as he came and drew nigh unto the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead, and is alive again, and was lost, and is found. Our Father, we do come now. And we thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for the singing that we have heard and experienced. What a wonderful thing. What a spirit lifting thing it was to sing the great hymns and the truth that we find in them. I thank you for the specials and the choir and, and Lord, the fellowship thus far. And, and Father, again, I thank you uh, as a simple pr preacher that you've given me an opportunity. And Lord, I want to I wanna take advantage of that by just simply declaring the truth and what you've put on my heart this morning. And so, Father, I confess my need 
this moment. My inability, Lord, I confess. And Lord, I need you in a mighty way. So I pray for your strength and your power. Your filling, Lord, of your spirit. And Father, may your spirit have freedom and liberty in this place and in this house. We thank you for this church. And Lord, I pray you would speak to their hearts. I pray that they listen on purpose. I pray that they desire, Lord, to hear the truth and to be challenged and encouraged, strengthened, changed more and more into the image of your Son. So, Father, help us now, I pray. I need you more than ever. And, Father, we all need you in a mighty way this morning. So we confess that and we surrender now and ask you to do mighty things. We pray it and ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, most of the time, or at least in my opinion, when this parable is preached from, at least when I've heard it preached from, and maybe it was at a conference or a youth conference when we took a group, but most of the time when I've heard this parable preached from, it's preached from the perspective of uh, the younger son or the father. Maybe you've heard a marriage, a a message about the prodigal child and, and how he ran off and how he wasted his father's living and how he was selfish to begin with for taking his portion of the inheritance before uh, his time was due and how he ran off and, uh, and maybe you've heard it preached and as a warning not to do that in our lives and, or maybe you've heard that and then how he, he repented and he turned from his sins and turned into the father and, and he came back and what a wonderful thing that is, a picture of salvation. Or maybe you've heard a message about the Father and the, the grace and the mercy that He's shown His Son when His Son returned and how that's a picture of the Father towards, towards us when we get saved and towards any lost person that turns from their sins and turns to Him in faith, believing in Jesus. Maybe you've heard it from those two ways. I know I have it. But this morning I would like to take a different approach, at least approach I've never really heard, and I want to talk about the eldest son. I want to talk about the son that's really not talked a whole lot about in this passage of Scripture. Now there are differing views on who the eldest son represents. I found those that say he represents the Pharisees, proud religious, trying to earn their way to God, thinking that they're the only ones that can be right with God. I've I've heard some say that the eldest son, like the younger son, represents the lost. The proud lost, unwilling to acknowledge their lost condition, unwilling to repent, thinking he's good enough on his own. And so I've heard those say that the the younger son represents those that acknowledge their need and acknowledge their sin and repent and, and turn to God in faith, believing in the gospel And this eldest son represents those that are lost but refuse to acknowledge their condition, refuse to repent, refuse to believe. But I'm going to tell you this morning what I believe, and I'm not saying they're wrong and I'm right. But my personal belief as I have studied and prayed and sought God's will in this passage of Scripture is that the eldest son represents the saved man, the saved man that's proud the saved man that might be rebellious, the saved man who's not close to the Father. And so this morning I want to preach on this, the dangers of not staying close to the Father. The reasons why I believe this to be the case, just a few real quick I'll tell you. 
If you'll notice, it doesn't say that the father went after the youngest son. I'm not saying that he didn't, but the scriptures don't say that he did. But it does say that he came out to the eldest son. It does say that as the youngest son came to the father, the father was there and he met him and he he welcomed him and he had compassion. But it never says that the father went after the youngest. But it does say that the elder son who would not go in, who would not go to the father, it says the father came out to him and entreated him or pleaded with him to come in. We notice at the end in the last couple verses that he told his son, he said, son, thou art ever with me. And then he says, and all that I have is thine. So my belief this morning is that this is a parable of God's grace towards the repentant, lost sinner. But it's also a story of God's grace toward the proud, rebellious, saved sinner. If you notice with me a few things about the eldest son. Number one, he was in the field and not near the father. Now I understand this morning and I will admit, I'm not trying to say something that the scriptures don't say. It could have been that he was working. I understand that. It could have been that maybe he was overseeing the labor of some hired servants. Maybe he was, the father had delegated a responsibility to him. And that could have very well been the case. I understand that. But the Bible does say, the scriptures do make it clear that he was in the field. We do know that as the eldest son, he had special rights and privileges. Someone said this about the eldest son. In biblical times, the firstborn was given certain unique rights, responsibilities, and privileges. A married couple's firstborn male child was given priority and preeminence in the family and the best of the inheritance. People in ancient cultures attached great value to the eldest son, assigning him distinct benefits and obligations. The firstborn son became the primary heir of the family. The firstborn's birthright involved a double portion of the household estate and the leadership of the family if his father became incapacitated, was absent for some reason, or died. Turn with me to Genesis 49 quickly. A couple verses that will help us understand the emphasis placed on the eldest son or the firstborn. Genesis 49, verse number 3, we read, Reuben, thou art my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity, and the excellency of power. Go to Exodus chapter number 13, verse number 2. Exodus chapter 13, verse number 2. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Sanctify unto me all the firstborn, whatsoever openeth the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and of beast. It is mine. Another person said this about the eldest son. The eldest son's special position was widely recognized 
in the ancient Near East, the accompanying privileges were highly valued and in the Old Testament included a larger inheritance, a special paternal blessing, family leadership, and an honored place at mealtimes. I personally think it's significant that he was in the field. I personally think it's significant that he was not near the father, especially when he, as the eldest son, the firstborn, had privileged access to the father. Why wasn't he close? Why wasn't he there? Why wasn't he at the father's side learning and being trained how to run the family business? A few thoughts came to my mind. Maybe he was upset that the father gave the younger son his share. Maybe he didn't like the fact that his father was willing to go to such great lengths to do that for the younger son. We've never heard of anything like, I've never heard of an example like that where, where a father says to someone, sure, go ahead, I'll give it to you now. Maybe there's instances But for the most part, if we are going to receive an inheritance, we understand that it's going to be after our parents are passed away. And out of respect for our parents, we're okay with that, aren't we? So maybe he was upset that the younger brother did this and the father was willing to do so. Maybe the older son was just too busy. Maybe the eldest son had other interests. Maybe he was not interested in being close to the father. Maybe the eldest son didn't feel the need to be close to the father. He knew what he needed to do. He had things taken care of. After all, he's the oldest son. He just needs to to wait until the father dies so he can have his place and have what's his right and his privilege. Maybe the eldest son felt guilt and shame for the way he felt. And maybe that guilt and shame caused him to stay away from the Father. He was unwilling to repent. He was unwilling to acknowledge. But his conscience told him. The Holy Spirit might have been convicting him. But he was unwilling to do what was necessary. Unwilling to do what his younger brother did. And turn to the Father. And so maybe staying far away from the Father allowed him to just sort of place that guilt and the shame to the back burner, to the back of his mind, because he knew when he got in the presence of the Father, he'd be reminded. I don't know why he was in the field, but I believe it was significant that he was. Notice that he was so far away and for so long that when he returned, he didn't know what was going on. How was he not involved And what had taken place up until this point. How was he not involved as the eldest son, the oldest, the firstborn, with all the rights and privileges? How was he not involved in the festivities that had taken place? How was he gone so long? Why was he gone so long? It would have taken some time to make all those preparations. We know they killed the fatted calf. We know there was music. We know there was dancing. We know there were people there. There there was no group text sent out. Be here in an hour. There's going to be beef 
and a party. There was no uh, any of the stuff we have today in order to prepare. Now, I'm not going to say how long I think it took or anything like that, but I believe it took a while. We are, we are country people. We live out in the country. Our church is in, in our town that's nearest to us, but, but we li- live out in the country, and uh, we, we, we do not buy meat. Well, we do buy chicken, okay? We have chickens, but they're egg-laying chickens. Um, I do want to get to the point where we have meat chickens, so we don't butcher chickens. We buy our chicken. Other than chicken, we do not buy meat. We butcher our own beef. We butcher our own hogs. We uh, uh, eat multiple deer, Illinois lobster. Those are snapping turtles, by the way. (laughs) Illinois lobster, they're wonderful. Squirrel, rabbit, you name it, I eat it. And we butcher it all ourselves. And for years, we as a family, my wife raises, or my wife's father raises cattle. And we've been married 18 years, just celebrated our 18th anniversary uh, this past Sunday. But for most of our marriage, we as a family have butchered our own beef every year. If we want a hog, I go to my neighbor. He's got some hogs. I buy a hog off of him and we butcher our own hogs. But my father-in-law raises cattle. And for years, we've butchered our own beef. Every year he gives, she has three siblings. There's four kids. And every year he gives each family a half a beef. We could have a whole beef if we wanted, but we can't eat a whole beef. But every year he gives us a half a beef. So every year we butcher at least two cows. Some years we've butchered three. In one day we butcher three cows. Now I understand that this was just a calf, but it was a fatted calf. It was not like some deer that they just went out and, and, and took its life and threw it over their shoulder and walked back to the house. It had some size to it. And as someone that has been involved every year in the process of on the hoof, to the freezer, from the cow standing on the hoof to it being wrapped in the freezer, we handle every step in between. And so I understand what it takes to prepare a beef. It takes a while. And they killed the fatted calf, and as I said, they made all the preparations. They invited all the people. All the people had came. They were already eating, already dancing, already playing music. Where was the eldest son during all that time? I also noticed that he came back. And when he came back, he called for one of the servants. Why didn't he just go to the father? Why didn't he look for the father and say, Father, what is going on? We also noticed that he got angry and he refused to celebrate. We also noticed that he felt the need to remind the father of all that he had done for the father, as if the father didn't already know. We also notice that he rebuked the father for never giving him a kid or a party. And so these are some things I notice about the eldest son. And so this morning, I would like to talk about the dangers of not staying close to the father. Number one, their feelings toward the lost won't be what they should be. If you're not close to the Father, if you feel no need to stay close to the Father, your feelings, your thoughts, your desires, your compassion toward the lost will not be what it should be. 
we notice that the father didn't go after the youngest son. Why didn't his brother go after him either? Why didn't his brother say, what are you doing? Do you see what you are doing? Do you understand your attitude? Do you understand what you're doing to the father? Do you understand what you're doing to the family? Do you understand what you're about to do to yourself? Why didn't he go after his brother? But he didn't. He was in the field. Why didn't he rejoice when his brother came home? He should have. But he didn't. In the book of Jude, verses 21 and 23, it says, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion, making a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Why didn't the brother go after the brother? Why wasn't the brother concerned about the younger brother's attitude and his lost condition? I want you to understand this morning that when we don't have a heart for the lost, our heart isn't near the heart of God. And one of the dangers of not staying close to the father as a son and as daughters is that our feelings toward the lost will not be what they ought to be. I'm not going to speak for this church because I don't know. But here's what I know about most churches. Those that go out on outreach, whether it's door knocking or street preaching or handing out tracts or whatever the case might be, are few and far between. And the church may have an outreach time. The church may make it a point to reach their community and their area. Again, I don't know about this church, but I know about mine and about many others. And those that go compared to those that don't, those that go are the minority. And it's a shame that that's the case. And we have lots of reasons. Well, I don't know what I'm going to say or, you know, well, I'm, I'm too afraid. or whatever the, and, I, and I get all that and I understand all that. I tell my people, I say, you know what? We knock doors every Saturday. Uh, we, we try to reach all the surrounding areas with gospel tracts and Romans. John and Romans, uh, uh, I don't know how many hundreds and hundreds, um, thousands really, of homes that we have got the John and Romans into, our gospel tracts. We go back, we try to knock on doors and talk to all those people after we do all that. That's what we do for the most part as a church. I tell my people all the time, listen, if you're afraid to talk to somebody, that's fine. Knock on their door and smile. Say, hi, I'm from Southside Baptist Church. We would just like to invite you to church today and give them a track. That's better than you not going. And so I don't, I get it, I understand the hesitancy. And so I just try to encourage my folks, just come, be a silent partner. I'll go by myself, I'd rather not. You can come. When we don't have a compassion and a desire to reach the lost... Oftentimes, it's a result of us ourselves not being close to the Father. And when we're not close to the Father, we're not going to have the heart of the Father. And our feelings and our thoughts and our compassions towards the lost are not going to be what they ought to be. Instead of us having compassion and seeing a lost soul, instead of us having a desire to tell them about the judgment of God and what's coming, it's not about asking people, hey, do you want to go to heaven? It's about warning people. It's about 
uh, uh, showing them of, uh, of the impending judgment and doom. We all understand that. It's about warning and saving them from the fire. But too often, instead of that compassion and that desire, we see someone that's lost as someone who's in our way. A hindrance to what we want to do. An annoyance or a nuisance. Maybe the eldest son was mad at the youngest son because now he was going to have to hire somebody else. He left. Now he's not going to be able to help me. I'm, I'm going to be all on my own running the family business. We don't know. But we do know that he sure did not have compassion towards his younger brother. We do know that he sure did not rejoice when he who was lost became found. And so be careful today, church, because if you're not close to the Father, you're not going to have the feelings, thoughts, attitudes, desires, compassion toward the lost that you ought to have. Number two this morning, if you're not close to the Father, your feelings toward God will not be what they should be. We notice, we've already sort of mentioned that when he came home after being in the field for some time, a specific or, or significant amount of time, we knew that he came back and he heard the music and he heard the dancing, the Bible tells us, and he didn't know what was going on. You know, typically, when we come somewhere and there's music and there's dancing, I mean, he knew there was music and dancing. What do we usually do? What's going on over there? We just go over there, don't we? I mean, we might just peek in the window, but, but we go to what's taking place. Well, he didn't go. He probably knew the father was there. And he said, hey, you, come over here. What's going on in there? And so when he, was go, when he wanted to know what was going on, he didn't even go to the source And I don't mean the source of music and dancing where it was taking place. I mean the father. The eldest son knew full well why there was music and dancing. Because the father allowed it. Because the father is in charge. And there's only going to be a party if the father said so. So why didn't he go to the father and say, hey father, what's going on? He was likely still bitter about the youngest son. I don't know. He was likely still feeling guilt and shame, I don't know. But we do know this. His thought toward the Father was not what it should, should have been. And our not staying close to the Father reveals our true heart that we feel like we don't need to stay close to the Father. That we feel like we don't need to go to the source. Our refusal to go to the Father reveals that we don't believe that we need to go to the father. When the eldest son found out about the festivities, he said, oh, amen, praise the Lord. Beef. No, he was angry. He was angry. He refused to go in. And when we're not close to God, when we, when we keep ourselves at a distance from God, I just want to warn you this morning, church, that his plans are more of an annoyance to you than a blessing. His plans for your life are not something that you're interested in. They're not something that causes you to say, Amen, praise the Lord. They're more of a hindrance. They're more of an annoyance. And so he was not happy about what was taking place. 
And so we as a church, I hope we understand, we as believers, I hope we understand that what God has planned for us as His children should be our desire. A party, and it's your will. Amen, Lord, I'm coming. You, you, you want me to do what, Lord? Amen, I'm coming. What, was, what is it, Father, that you have for me? Amen, I'm coming. That was not the eldest son's heart. We see that when the father pleaded with him to come in, he came out. I don't know if the servant went in and said, Hey, your son's out here. But somehow the father knew that he was out there. Somehow the father knew that he refused to come in. And the father didn't say to the servant like the son said to the servant. The son said to the servant, Hey, what's going on? The father didn't say to the servant, Well, go back out there and tell him to get in here. The father went out. And the father said, Won't you come in? And the father said, I've killed the fatted calf. Your brother has come home. There's music and dancing. There's a party. And we want you to be a part of it. We want you to be involved. You're my son. And you have all the rights and privileges as my son. And, and, and isn't it wonderful that your brother has come back? He was lost and now he's found. And we prepared this wonderful feast and party. And we sure would like you to be there. And he said, he didn't say I'm not interested. But when the father went out and pleaded with him, the Bible says and treated him, he did not go in. In fact, he didn't even respond. Well, he did respond. He said, um, where am I here? Let me find my place. He said, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And so when the father pleaded with him to come in and said, all, all that we are doing, we want you to be involved in, we want you to be a part of, he ignored it. And I want to warn you this morning, if we're not interested in staying close to the father, then it's proof that we're not real interested in what he has in store for us. Which, by the way, is blessing. Which, by the way, is peace and joy. And something greater than anything we could ever imagine or muster up ourselves. His commands should be our delight. And when the father went to the son and he said, Son, come in. He wasn't interested. 1 John chapter 5, verse number 3. 1 John chapter 5, verse number 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. Can I say to you this morning, one of the dangers of not staying close to the Father is that your feelings toward the Father will not be what they should be. Number three this morning... If you are not close to the Father, then your feelings about yourself will not be what they should be. After ignoring, essentially, his father's request, he began by reminding his father about how wonderful he was. We already knew he was proud. This just reinforces it. 
We already knew he thought he could do without God. This just reinforces it. But again, as I said earlier, and he answering said to his father, he didn't say, well, let me go get cleaned up and then I'll be there. He didn't say, well, that sounds like a good time. I'm looking forward to it. No, he said, lo, these many years do I serve thee. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. And so instead of saying, sure, I'll come, sure, I'll be there, what a wonderful thing, my brother has, has, has come home, he basically says, aren't you aware of how wonderful I am? Do you not notice how good I have been? One of the dangers of not staying close to the Father is that you're not going to think about yourself how you ought to think. You're not going to see yourself how you ought to see yourself. You're going to think you're something. You're going to think you're worthy. You're going to think, well, of course Jesus would die for me. I mean, after all, I'm me. I mean, after all, look at what he got. And by the way, that's a shame if that's how we feel. But he began here by reminding his father about how wonderful that he was. All these years I've served you. I've never asked you to give me my portion of the inheritance when we know that he already did. I mean, he, uh, it said there, when the youngest son asked for his portion of the goods, it doesn't say half. A lot of times we say, you know, half and half. The younger son didn't get half. He couldn't get half. He was the younger son, but... He got his portion of the goods that falleth to to, to me, it says. And then notice there at the end of verse 12. And he divided unto them his living. So not only did he give the younger son his portion of the inheritance, the way I understand it is he gave it to the eldest son already as well. But the eldest son already got his portion of the inheritance, and he still was there with the father. But all he wanted to do was say how good he was, how wonderful he was, how he's never transgressed the commandment. And then he goes on and he complains about what the father hasn't done for him. I've been good all these years. I've not done anything wrong all these years. You've never given me a kid. Why haven't I ever received a fatted calf? Why haven't I ever been able to invite my friends over and make merry with them? If you're not close to the father, you're going to begin to see what all the father hasn't done for you. Versus what all the Father has done for you. If you're not willing to stick close to the Father this morning. Then what he's done for you is not going to be of much value. It amazes me that the one thing that God needed to do for us was send a Savior. And that's what he's done. And I'm amazed at the amount of of people that aren't satisfied with that. You've given me Jesus, what more do I need? But too many of us are proud and complaining and, well, why haven't you done this for me? Well, why haven't you done that? I want to say to you this morning and remind you that not regularly being in the presence of God makes it so that we don't regularly see ourselves for who we really are. I'll conclude with this. Notice that the Father didn't force the eldest son to stay close. He could have said, hey, you're the eldest son. I've got to teach you. I've got to train you. 
you've got to figure all this out because I'm not going to be here one of these days and you are going to be in charge. But the father let the son go to the field. The father let the son go to himself. Could I just say to you this morning, don't let the father let you leave because he might. And he might let you learn the hard way of what it will cost you if you don't stay close to the Father. Notice also the Father's grace and mercy toward him. I want to challenge you this morning to stay close because he just might let you leave and find out for yourself. But maybe you're already there. I want to challenge you with this. Notice the Father's grace and mercy toward him. It was not rebuke. He didn't say, well, what a selfish, spoiled little brat you are. He didn't say, well, well, you should be ashamed of yourself for not rejoicing. He simply says, son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. Is it you this morning that's not close enough to the Father? Maybe you're here this morning and you're not close to the Father because you've never been born again. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not close enough to the Father because you've never been reconciled back unto Him through repentance and faith. Or maybe you're here this morning and you have been born again, but you're the eldest child. If you're a child of God here this morning, you have all the rights and privileges and benefits and blessings that the Father has to offer. And if you're not receiving them, it's not because the Father doesn't want to give them. If you're not receiving them, it's not because He's withholding them. It's because you've decided to go out into the field. 